Without a doubt, the Gucci brand is one of the most iconic, most respected, most recognizable fashion house brands there is. Perhaps most famous for their luxury leather handbags, the Gucci company also produces a ton of other products. Gucci coats, Gucci shoes, Gucci face serums, Gucci belts, Gucci sandals, lipsticks, tents, mugs, perfumes, colognes, glasses, you name it. Gucci has done it, or they will do it. But what's behind the name is a story so sinister, a story of greed, betrayal, of power and struggle, and ultimately, of murder. How the Gucci family toppled in among itself like a house of cards after the death of one of their own, which pulled the rug out from under them. And then the Gucci's lost their name forever. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. I know that you've seen the trailer, or at least a teaser, for the upcoming film House of Gucci, starring Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. But do you know the whole story? The real life story behind the family who had it all? I do. Crack Pops, are you in? Let's crack the case. Welcome back to Crack Pop. My name is Jacob Granado, pop culture obsessor, enthusiast, and commentator. Each episode, I will bring you along with me through all of my research as I attempt to crack pop cultures and humankind's darkest mysteries, conspiracies, and secrets. Today, we will be taking a look at one of the most infamous murders in Italian history. The death of Maurizio Gucci. Hello, everybody. Uh, If you notice that my voice sounds a little bit different, you're not crazy. It's not your headphones. I, I don't know what's going on. I am, it's not COVID, but I got sick like two weeks ago and it was pretty bad, but now I was fine for like a week and now I ha- I've lost my voice. I have this nasty dry cough. I don't know what's going on. I, I think it's bronchitis. I could be wrong. Pray for me. And for anybody who is new here and you just came across this episode because you're Googling stuff about House of Gucci, first of all, hi, I'm so glad you're here. This episode is for you, but also I'm sorry about the voice. I'm going to do my best to enunciate properly, but bear with me. So like always, I didn't know much about the story until I started researching it and I unearthed so much, but also so little. This wasn't a very big case, so it might be a little bit of a shorter episode, that's okay. It's Thanksgiving week. You have better things to do. I am going to be in a wedding, my best friend's wedding this weekend. I'm actively involved, so I'm going to be busy with that. Uh, I hope that you guys all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. By the time you listen to this, it would have already passed. It's Tuesday, November 23rd, and tomorrow, Wednesday, November 24th, is the official premiere date in the U.S. at least of House of Gucci, and I'm going to see it at 9.30. So come back at the end of the episode if you want to hear my thoughts, my excitement, my reaction to the movie. I'm sure you know how it's going to be. If you know me, you know I love Gaga. This is going to be great. 
Anyways, the whole reason I'm doing this episode is because if you're like me, you probably have no idea what went down. So you're going to go into this movie blind and you're going to, you know, just see what happens. But if you're also like me, you don't pick up on things in movies that easily. I have to ask my boyfriend questions constantly. I'm the worst person to watch movies with, especially in the theaters. Like, who's that? Where? How are they related again? That's me. So <laughs> let my episode introduce you to the glamorous and troubling world of the Gucci's. This is the story of one of the biggest scandals in Italian history. The glamorous socialite Patrizia Reggiani was accused and later found guilty of ordering the assassination of her ex-husband Maurizio Gucci, who was one of the heirs to the massive Gucci fortune. The Gucci dynasty really began in Florence, Italy in 1904. A young man named Guccio Gucci is working as a porter at London's Savoy Hotel. A porter is kind of like a bellhop. They assist guests with their luggage, but they also do like light maintenance work at the hotels. Anyways, while working as a bellhop and managing people's luggage day in and day out, he felt that there might be a future for him and he could possibly make traveling trunks that were both smart and practical, but also beautiful and well-made. He returned home to Florence where he was born and he set up his own business where he would make this type of trunk. Word got around, he got some loyal clients and really this was the beginning of the Gucci fashion house. In 1920, he opened his very first shop, the Gucci shop, in Florence, Italy. And again, the initial success of the company was really because of the leather craftsmanship of these bags. Something that it's still known for today. But Gucci wasn't quite content with Gucci staying in Italy. He wanted to go international. So one of his six sons, a man named Aldo Gucci, moved to the United States to open its very first Gucci store. Their hopes paid off and Gucci quickly became an international success. Now let me introduce you to some of the key players of this story. First and foremost, we have Maurizio Gucci. Maurizio was the founder Guccio's grandson. His father's name was Rodolfo, and Rodolfo was an actor at first, but then he took on more responsibility with the Gucci company. Maurizio was born in 1948 in Florence, Italy, and he was the only child of Rodolfo's and his mother's. Unfortunately, his mother passed away when he was just five years old. In 1972, when Maurizio was 24 years old, he left Italy for the United States, where he moved to New York City and started working under his uncle Aldo Gucci. And again, Aldo is the one who moved to the US to bring Gucci stores there. And this uncle-nephew duo did really well and they brought the Gucci brand to the US and it started to rise in status there. But Maurizio was a little bit distracted by something that had happened to him on the side. On the night of November 23rd, 1970, Maurizio's world was rocked when he met the beautiful Patrizia Reggiani. The two had attended, separately, this party for the Italian elite. It took Maurizio one glance at Patrizia to know that he needed to be with her. Her petite figure, her mesmerizing eyes, her big, beautiful hair. It was love at first sight for Maurizio, but not for Patrizia. Patrizia had many suitors. This was just another Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it was for her. He was reported to have turned to one of his friends and asked, 
who is that beautiful girl dressed in red who looks like Elizabeth Taylor? She was 21-year-old Patrizia Rajani. Patrizia was born on December 2nd, 1948 in a small town outside of Milan. Her mother was a waitress and her father had a fortune, I guess, in the transportation industry, specifically trucking. And her father spoiled her while growing up. He bought her mink coats and fast cars. Patrizia was used to the finer things in life. It was going to take a lot for this young boy. But Maurizio Gucci wasn't going to give up without a fight and he used all of the riches at his disposal to win her over. In 2016, during an interview with The Guardian, Patrizia said of this first meeting, I met Maurizio at a party and he fell madly in love with me. I was exciting and different. I didn't think much of him at first. He was just the quiet boy whose teeth crossed over at the front. I tried to record that in an Italian accent, like I'm Lady Gaga or something. It's not going to work. Trust me, you don't want that. So Maurizio courted her, and eventually, she gave in. The two quickly fell in love, but Patrizia said that their relationship was kind of like Romeo and Juliet's, in that Maurizio's father, Rodolfo, did not want him to end up with Patrizia. In Rodolfo's eyes, Patrizia was after one thing and one thing only. Rodolfo was reported to have said that Patrizia was a social climber who has nothing in mind but money. When she reflected on this part of their relationship, Patrizia said, Maurizio felt free with me. We had fun. We were a team. Maurizio proposed to Patrizia. And this caused a rift between Maurizio and his father, Rodolfo. I guess his father even went to the Cardinal of Milan to try to get him to stop the marriage from ever happening. But in the end, love proved to be stronger than family, as the couple married on October 28th, 1972. It was the social event of that year, but not a single one of Maurizio's relatives actually attended their wedding. The couple went on to have two daughters, Alessandra and Allegra. The family owned a ski chalet in St. Moritz, Switzerland, a holiday house in Acapulco, Mexico, and a farm in Connecticut. And Patrizia particularly was caught up in this glamorous lifestyle, even once famously saying, It's better to uh, cry in Rolls Royce than to be happy in on a bicycle. That's, that's for sure. And it seemed that Rodolfo changed his mind entirely about his new daughter-in-law. After the couple gave birth to their first daughter, Alessandra, he could see that she really did love Maurizio. So Rodolfo did what any dad would do, and he bought the couple a luxury penthouse in New York's Olympic Tower. The couple was quickly becoming a powerhouse in New York City. They were constantly chauffeured around Manhattan, and their personalized license plate was Mauizia, which was their blended couple name, and they were one of the first people to do that whole blended couple name thing. Brangelina? Benefer who? They ran around with the Trumps and the Kennedys, and they just lived this really glamorous life. Patrizia recalled having these very specific color-themed parties that she threw in the early 1980s. Like, one party, everything was completely orange, which was her favorite color, including the food. And of course, all of their famous friends were on the guest list. The couple also owned a yacht, which they named the Creole, and they would go to these private islands on it, and then they started to buy private islands. And for the first 10 years of their marriage, Everything went extraordinarily well for this very wealthy couple. 
until it didn't. In 1983, Maurizio's father, Rodolfo, died, and that was kind of a turning point for the entire Gucci company, but also Patrizia and Mauricio's entire marriage. Things really started to go south because Rodolfo was a 50% share owner of the Gucci brand after his father, Guccio, the founder, had died. So when Rodolfo himself died, that left Maurizio in charge of half of the Gucci fortune, and the other half was his uncle's, Aldo Gucci's, the one that he moved to the United States to work with. His uncle, Aldo, had three sons, Paolo, Roberto, and Giorgio, who are, of course, Maurizio's cousins. I know there's a lot of names that are like end in EO, but <laughs> I hope you're following along. But with Maurizio now owning half of the company, he started to get a little bit greedy. 50% wasn't enough for him. He wanted full control of the company. And long story short, Maurizio actually ended up in a really nasty legal battle with his uncle Aldo and his sons for full control of Gucci. And he ended up pulling off this schemy plot to buy them out. In 1988, this investment company called InvestCorp bought his family members half of the company, which left Mauricio with all of the power and the rest of his family with none at all. After Maurizio fired all of his family members, he kind of relied on his wife Patrizia to play a key role in the company. They were trying to rebuild Gucci's status. Patrizia told The Guardian, Until then, I was his chief advisor about all Gucci matters, but he wanted to be the best, and he stopped listening to me. At the time Maurizio took over the Gucci company, they were really struggling by being oversaturated in the market. They were mass producing bags with their double G logo and they were just diminishing in value. And also there was a lot of fakes being made that looked really real. So the brand was kind of cheapy. So Maurizio's plan was to return back to that exclusive and detailed craftsmanship that the company was kind of built on. But over the next few years, the Gucci brand began to lose millions and millions of dollars. And at the same exact time, back at home, things were kind of falling apart for Maurizio and Patrizia. The couple kind of just became business partners and they fought relentlessly about the brand and the direction they should or should not go in. And it seems like Patrizia was more invested in the company than Maurizio was. She said that after his father died, he just began to act as if he no longer cared for anybody or anything. She said, I was angry with Maurizio about many, many things at the time, but above all this, losing the family business. It was stupid. It was a failure. I was filled with rage, but there was nothing I could do. He shouldn't have done that to me. One random night in 1985, Maurizio told his wife that he was going on a short business trip to Florence. But the following day, Maurizio arranged for the family doctor to show up at the residence and tell Patrizia that Maurizio would not be returning and that their marriage was over. He never returned home. And just like that, after 12 years of marriage, Maurizio just walked out on his marriage and on his two daughters, Allegra and Alessandra. Unfortunately for him, that decision was going to end up costing him his life. In 1994, the couple officially divorced and Maurizio was ordered to pay Patrizia nearly $1.5 million a year in alimony. 
and part of the divorce settlement said that Patrizia was no longer allowed to use Gucci as her last name, but she ignored that part and she continued to use it anyway. And then Maurizio found his next, Paola Franchi. The two had been acquainted back when they were younger by running around in the same European party crowds. And when they reconnected, they realized that they were both in these failing marriages. Paola said when they reconnected, they fell in love almost immediately, and that Maurizio used to tell her all the time that they were two halves of the same apple. Which I don't think is romantic at all. Two halves of the same apple. Like, thanks. But Paola and Maurizio were well on their way to marriage and then hopefully having children of their own one day. But a marriage between them would mean that Patrizia's alimony would be cut in half. Things were looking pretty good business-wise at first as Maurizio was made chairman of the Gucci group in 1989. But from 1991 to 1993, the company's finances were in the negative, and it was Maurizio who was blamed for spending these large amounts of money on the company's headquarters in Florence and Milan. Maurizio was failing the Gucci name. The business was suffering under his control and they were losing so much money. And by the end of 1993, the Gucci name would be forever erased from the brand. Maurizio was desperate and kind of forced to sell his remaining stock in Gucci in 1993 for 170 million dollars. He sold it to Investcorp, which is the same company that he used to buy out his other relatives, his cousins and his uncle's shares. And now Investcorp owned 100% of the Gucci brand effectively ending the Gucci family's association with the brand that had been in their family for decades, forever. But it wasn't a total loss, at least not according to Maurizio Gucci, who was now $170 million richer. He was a wealthy man. He was set for life. This is where Patrizia kind of re-enters the picture. After Maurizio had sold the company, apparently Patrizia was worried about what would become of her share of the family fortune. And then she was also making news because she was writing a tell-all book about the Gucci family, and it was pretty clear that she was not going to be doing them any favors. And all this time, whenever Patrizia would mention Maurizio, she would call him my husband, even though they had been divorced for 10 years now. She also made it very clear how she felt about Maurizio's new live-in girlfriend, Paola Franchi. Whenever she would refer to her, she would not call her by name, but refer to her as that woman. When she started to hear rumors that Maurizio and Paola were planning on getting married, she was furious. She would call him over and over again and leave him these awful messages. You've reached the extreme limit of making yourself despised by your daughters who no longer want to see you to forget the trauma. You are a deformed outgrowth. You are a painful appendix that all of us want to forget. For you, Hell is yet to come. It's March 27th, 1995, and by all accounts, it's a beautiful spring morning. It's around 8.30 in the morning, and Giuseppe Onorato, the doorman of the building where Maurizio's private office is located, is sweeping leaves when Maurizio arrives to work. He's walking up the steps wearing a gray wool Prince of Wales suit, a crisp blue shirt, and a blue silk Gucci tie. 
He's got a stack of magazines under his arms, and he tells Giuseppe, Good morning. When Onorato looks up, he sees a hand, which he calls a beautiful, clean hand, pointing a gun. The gunman fires three shots at Maurizio's back, and a fourth into his head. He collapses to the ground. Noticing Onorato watching the whole thing unfold, the gunman shoots at him twice in his arm. Somehow, the doorman manages to get to Gucci and he cradles him in his arms where he dies. The gunman vanishes into the morning rush hour traffic. And Maurizio is dead at 46 years old. Right away, the investigators looked into three different areas of Maurizio's life which might have led him to be killed. One was his recent sale of the Gucci company to InvestCorp. The second was because he was starting a casino in Switzerland. And of course, his ex-wife. They had a hunch about Patrizia from the very beginning, and they suspected that because she had so publicly threatened to kill her ex on many different occasions, that she was somehow responsible for his murder. But without any solid evidence, the case kind of went cold for about two years. They didn't necessarily think that Patricia pulled the trigger herself because they felt that the killing had to have been done by professional hitmen. That was because of the shooter's precision and also because of the cruel way that they shot the doorman who had just happened to witness what they had done. So they thought they were likely mafia hitmen. Spoiler alert, they were wrong. Again, without any evidence, it was hard to pinpoint exactly who had ordered this hit. Or maybe even if it had been a family member of Maurizio's who had shot him because he had lost the entire Gucci family fortune. The truth was about to be revealed. very next day after Maurizio's murder, Paola, his lover, received an eviction notice from Patrizia to move out of the apartment that she had been sharing with Maurizio. And Paola noticed that the time stamp showed that the papers had been drawn up at 11 a.m. the previous day, which was the day that Maurizio was murdered. So this was all being orchestrated three hours, even less than three hours, after he died. And of course, when Paola was forced to leave the apartment, Patricia and her two daughters moved in, and they lived there in luxury for the next two years. Until... A late-night phone call comes in to police on January 8th, 1997. This caller, who chose to remain anonymous, but I guess is later revealed to be named Gabriel, says that he's basically homeless. He lives in a cheap motel on the outskirts of Milan, where he met somebody named Ivano Saviani. Saviani is also a porter for a hotel, a bellhop, and he confides in Gabriel that he was actually involved in Gucci's murder. He tells him exactly how. Savioni told him that one of his friends, a woman named Pina Oriema, who happened to be a psychic and personal friend of Patrizia's, called Savioni up and basically asked him, like, hey, do you know of any hitmen? My friend Patrizia needs someone to get rid of her ex-husband. And he does, or he finds two people? He personally hires a man named Benedetto Serralo and the getaway car driver, Orazio Sicala. 
it seems so specific that police have really no choice but to investigate Savioni and see if there's any truth to this story. And I'm not sure how they find out about this, but apparently Savioni was once again looking for a hitman. But instead of killing Maurizio, this time they wanted to kill or at least threaten Patrizia herself because they had not received the total amount of money that she had promised them to carry out the murder of her ex-husband. So long story short, an undercover police officer pretends to be interested in doing the job, being the hitman to get at Patrizia, and he secretly records the conversation. And it becomes clear that yes, this is indeed what happened and they are all involved. So in the early morning of January 31st, Patrizia, Pina Oriema, that's the psychic, Savioni, that's the guy who found the hitman, and then the hitman, Sakala and Serralo, are all detained and charged for having some involvement in the murder of Maurizio Gucci. When police officers arrive at Patrizia's apartment, they knock, but they get no response. They knock again, no response. And so they literally have to break down her door, and when they open it, they find her walking around holding a lamp, and she just says like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the doorbell. And she's oddly calm, and they asked her like, do you know why we're here to arrest you? She says, you've come because of my husband's death. Notice that she said husband, not ex-husband, and also she didn't even question, like, why they were arresting her. Uh, guilty. The police investigation quickly came to the conclusion that Sakala was the getaway car driver and Serralo was the one who fatally shot Gucci and injured the doorman. When police were questioning the psychic Pina about her involvement, she admitted that she played a role in it and that Patrizia had reached out to her because of how much she hated her ex-husband and was tired of being harassed by him and that if Pina could find someone to kill Maurizio, Patrizia would pay handsomely for it. And Pina knew the right person, Saviani, who was the night porter at the hotel where she constantly stayed whenever she visited Milan and she knew that he'd been struggling financially and so she called him up and gave him the task of finding the hitmen. After talking to everybody involved, the police figured out that Patrizia had paid the two men about $350,000, or at least promised to, to kill her ex-husband. And not a single one of them that was involved in the murder had ever committed a crime before this. And Patrizia's trial was about to begin. On the morning of June 2nd, 1998, the Black Widow, as the press now calls her, is on trial for the murder of her ex-husband. The prosecutors argue that her motive behind the murder was to gain control of some of her ex-husband's finances, and especially because he was about to get remarried to Paola Franchi. Franchi claimed that Patrizia was stalking them. She said, quote, she still had spies in Maurizio's circle and she knew all about our plans, his business dealings, everything. She called many times, abusing him and threatening to kill him." End quote. While on trial, Franchi said that she begged her ex, Maurizio, to hire a bodyguard, but he refused to do it because he didn't think Patrizia had it in her to go through with these threats, especially because of their daughters together. And there were a lot of these threats. She had told numerous close friends and family members and even members of the press that she wished that Maurizio were dead. One of the people that she had confided this in was her former psychic best friend, Pina, who she was now in a huge battle with in the courtroom. 
Tina argued that she was struggling so much with her debts that in a moment of weakness, she decided to call up Saviani and ask him about finding a hitman. But Patrizia claimed that she had no idea that Pina was planning this and that, you know, she was only kidding about wanting her husband dead. And then afterwards, after Pina had found somebody to find the hitman, that she was blackmailed into paying this $350,000 for the assassination of her ex-husband, which she had no part in. Yeah. So Patrizia claimed that Pina was solely responsible and she had nothing to do with it. She even said this about Pina. Never let even a friendly fox into the chicken coop. Sooner or later, it could get hungry. But later, when Patrizia was cross-examined and asked about the $350,000 that she paid Pina, she commented, It was worth every penny. That's the only attempt you're going to get at my Italian accent. Throughout the trial, it became clear that Patrizia had put pressure on the four accomplices to speed up their murder plot in order to make sure that Maurizio was dead before he could ever marry Paola. In part because she was afraid that her kids would lose some of their inheritance, but also, as Pina suggested, because Patrizia could not stand the thought of being replaced. And also, remember that if he did indeed get married to Paola, it would mean that Patrizia's alimony would be cut in half every year. So instead of over a million, she would get over 500,000, which she said amounted to a bowl of lentils. But there was one more piece of evidence that was discovered when police searched Patrizia's home. They confiscated her diary, and written in all caps on the day of Maurizio's murder was a single word, paradisos, the Greek word for paradise. When asked about this entry, Patrizia just said that it was a word that she liked and she wrote it down because she wanted to use it as the name for her next villa. Also in her diary was another selection that was introduced into court that read, There is no crime which money cannot buy. Throughout her entire trial, Patrizia maintained that she was innocent, and her lawyers said that the threats that she made against her ex were just the ramblings of a mentally disturbed woman. But when they brought in a psychiatric panel, they came to the conclusion that Patrizia was mentally competent. And then came the day of the trial's verdict. Although the Gucci company claimed that they were indifferent and didn't have an opinion on the trial, Gucci stores around the world reportedly hung silver handcuffs in shop windows. Shortly after 5 p.m. on November 3rd, 1997, after about seven hours of deliberation, the jury came back with their verdicts. Patrizia, Reggiani, and all four of her accomplices were found guilty of the murder of Maurizio. Patrizia was to receive 29 years in prison, Orazio Sakala, which was the getaway car driver, 29 years as well, Ivano Saviani, the hotel porter who arranged the hitman, 26 years, Pina Oriema, the psychic, 25 years, and the gunman Benedetto Serralo was given a life sentence. And though she still maintained that she was innocent, Patrizia began her 29-year sentence when she was jailed in 1998, but she only served 16 years. When she was in prison, she was treated like royalty. Like, she was even allowed to keep a pet ferret, who she named Bambi. She helped her fellow inmates do hair and nails, and she also tended to the prison's garden. 
but she still struggled with her new life behind bars. In November of 2000, the media reported that Patrizia had actually attempted suicide after being transferred to a new prison. Just 13 years into her sentence, she was eligible for parole. It was like this work release program, I guess, but she turned it down because she said, quote, I've never worked in my life and I don't intend to start now, end quote. She was released just five years after that in 2016 due to good behavior. She immediately took a job working for the jewelry brand Bozart, which made costume jewelry and was famous in the 1980s for outfitting Madonna and Pamela Anderson. And she kind of really thrived in this new role because she was back in the fashion industry. Not long after her release, a camera crew shows up to the place where she works, Bozart, and they ask her, Patrizia, why did you hire a hitman to kill Maurizio Gucci? Why didn't you just shoot him yourself? Her answer? My eyesight is not so good. I didn't want to miss. Ever since her release, the former Lady Gucci has kind of taken on a new role as, I guess, an aspiring public figure. It's like anytime she's given the chance to give an interview or comment on her ex-husband's murder, she jumps at the opportunity. One Italian newspaper asked her about the reasons why she would order a hit on her ex. Her answer? There was no hatred. I didn't hate Maurizio. I never hated him. It was my irritation. He irritated me. In another interview, I have to admit that for a time, I truly wanted to get rid of him. I wanted to do it, and so I was going around asking for people to do it, but my intentions ended there. A mere obsession. A mere desire. What wife has never said, I'd kill that guy? Patrizia Rajani walks free today, and if you're in Milan, you might come across her walking the streets with a parrot on her shoulder. That's apparently what she does now. Sadly, she's also currently estranged from her two daughters that she had with Maurizio, Alessandra and Allegra, who both made it out pretty well, I'd say. They directly inherited all of Maurizio Gucci's remaining money, the millions of dollars that he had to his name, as well as his yacht and his properties around the entire world. But Patrizia has ultimately been left with close to nothing and has declared herself Nulla tenente, which in Italian means bankrupt. A person who has nothing. But she is not giving up on her aspirations to return to the forefront of the Gucci brand. She has claimed, They need me. I still feel like a Gucci. In fact, the most Gucci of them all. So, did you guys follow all of that? What do you think about Patrizia's vengeance plan? Was she justified? Was it all an act of pure emotion? Driven to the point of no return? Here are my thoughts in 60 seconds starting now. First of all, I don't know why she kept flip-flopping and changing her story, saying that, you know, she was involved and it was worth every penny and then saying that she had nothing to do with it. Like, admit it. Own up to it. You have done it. And she's owned up to it now in interviews. She kind of gets off on being this, like, murderer. It's sick. I don't know what her end game was, and I think maybe she thought that the police would think that maybe it was one of his family members because of how much they were fighting and not her. I don't know. 
I don't think she had a lot to gain by him being dead either. I think that she really just wanted to make a point to him. Like, okay, point taken. You're, he's dead now. What is he going to do with that? I don't know. She could have been smarter about it. I'm glad she wasn't. Uh, I just feel bad for the guy, the poor doorman who was also shot. Just, you know, doing his job, sweeping leaves. Ugh. I don't know. And watching these interviews of her and listening to them, she's awful. Okay, just like another second. She's delusional. Like she gets off on being a murderer. I didn't really know where to put this in the episode, so I'm just gonna leave it here. The upcoming film House of Gucci is based off of the 2001 book by Sarah Gay Forden called The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour, and greed. The movie follows Maurizio Gucci, played by the actor Adam Driver, and the events that unfolded that ultimately led to his death, orchestrated by his ex-wife Patrizia Rajani, played by Lady Gaga. Ridley Scott is the director, and the screenplay was written by Becky Johnston and Roberto Bentevegna. I kind of just wanted to explain how the characters relate to this story, so obviously Adam Driver is Maurizio Gucci, the grandson of Guccio Gucci, and again, Patrizia is Lady Gaga. Jeremy Irons stars as Maurizio's father, Rodolfo Gucci, you know, the one that ultimately dies and leaves Maurizio with half of the Gucci fortune. Jared Leto plays Paolo Gucci, which is just one of Maurizio's cousins. I think he's the, yeah, he's the son of Aldo Gucci, and Al Pacino appears as Aldo Gucci, and again, that is the uncle that Maurizio first went to work with when he started the company in uh, the United States. And Salma Hayek will be playing Pina Auriemma, which is the psychic friend of Patrizia's. The cast has already started generating Oscar buzz, particularly Lady Gaga for her performance as Patrizia. But apparently, Patrizia Rajani, the real Patrizia, is not real thrilled on the whole movie. She said, quote, I'm rather annoyed at the fact that Lady Gaga is playing me in the new Ridley Scott film without having had the consideration and sensibility to come and meet me. It is not an economic question. I won't get a cent from the film. It is a question of good sense and respect. But Gaga countered this by saying, quote, I only felt that I could truly do the story justice if I approached it with the eye of a curious woman meaning that nobody was going to tell me who Patrizia Gucci was, not even Patrizia Gucci." End quote. And the rest of the Gucci family is pretty much not thrilled either, and they said that they've crossed the line with this film, but they really have no involvement in the fashion house as it survives today. And Marco Bizzari, who's the CEO of Gucci, has basically allowed the production to have total creative freedom and has given them full access to the house's historical archive of wardrobe and props. So basically, all the outfits in the film are gonna be historic Gucci, which is cool. And recently, when the real Patrizia was asked again about Lady Gaga portraying her, she said this, I have two daughters, and I don't like that they have to relive their father's situation. Like, girl, you did this. Gaga's response? My heart goes out to her daughters. I do care deeply that this must be very painful for them. So, Crack Pops, what camp are you in? Are you in Camp A? where Patrizia Rajani might have had strong reservations about how her ex-husband Maurizio was handling the Gucci brand, but ultimately her love for her ex-husband and her two daughters was enough to keep her away from ever harming him. Or are you in Camp B, where Patrizia 
as was suggested by her four accomplices, was the mastermind behind her ex-husband's death. And she walks free among us today, waiting for her next victim to cross her. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Crack Pop. For pictures, videos, and source material for this episode, you can visit our website, crackpopnetwork.com. Also, please feel free to follow us on Instagram. The handle is at crackpopnetwork. I will return in two weeks with a brand new episode where we'll take a deep look at another true crime story. This one is an American tale that we all know, or we think we know, so well. See you soon. Okay, I just got back from seeing House of Gucci, and I have a few thoughts. Um, first of all, I think that it was a pretty good movie. I wouldn't say it's the best movie I've ever seen, but I do think it was enjoyable. I liked it a lot. Um, I think that it was beautifully shot. I feel like all of the actors killed it, and the scenes were just so fun and like vibrant and full of life. I definitely think that there was a good 30 to 40 minutes that could have been cut from the film. I couldn't tell you exactly which moments, but it just felt a little bit too long. If you're into long movies though, go see it. It's worth it. I knew that going into the movie that it had a 67% or so on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that that that's a huge miss. I feel like that's a mistake. I don't think it should be that low. I hope that it goes up. It should, it deserves to. I would rate it in the low 80s. I don't think we're gonna see Oscar nominations for best picture or director or probably even actor, but I think Gaga for sure will have a nomination for actress. And my money is on Jared Leto for supporting actor. He was hilarious. Oh, that was like a huge takeaway from this movie for me. I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. And I feel like it was just as funny as it was dramatic. So that was a very pleasant surprise. Um, Salma Hayek was also so funny and so good. I did notice a few differences from the actual story and the screenplay or what we saw play out in the film. And there's two that I wanna talk about. The first is that in the movie, um, Patrizia and Maurizio have one daughter, Alessandra, but in reality they had two. I feel like that was a huge miss. The film kind of portrayed Patrizia in a desperate light, and um, you kind of feel sympathy for her. And I think that if they had included both daughters, it would have just added to that kind of desperation. I don't know why they chose to keep that other daughter out. The other thing that I noticed was that there were actually four accomplices to Patrizia's crime. They had three of them, the psychic Pina, the guy that she got to find the hitman, Ivano, but then only the person that shot Gucci and not the person who drove him, the getaway car driver. There's just no mention of him at all, even though five people were found guilty. I thought that was weird. Other than that, I think that the movie was fantastic. There's one explosive scene where Patrizia finds out that Maurizio wants a divorce and Gaga came to play. She acted her ass off in that scene. So that was a highlight for me. The other highlight was the sex scene. Just, I I don't want to ruin it. Go see it. But if you're not into watching movies that are almost three hours long, if you don't have that kind of attention span, I get it. Maybe you just wait until it comes out and you could watch it at home on streaming services. 
My friend Nat, who went to go see it with me, also mentioned that uh, Patrizia still gets money from Maurizio Gucci, which I didn't know. Uh, We looked it up, she looked it up, and she's right. She still gets a lot of freaking money from Maurizio Gucci's estate. It says $1.47 million a year. I don't know if that's accurate, but girl... Anyways, that was my two cents on this film. Um, Obviously, I liked it, right? Is that obvious? I did. Moving on, here is my bi-weekly pop culture wrap-up. And let's just say not a lot happened, uh, at least as of Tuesday, November 23rd when I'm recording this. I think the pattern here with these is that I'm going to start heavier and then get lighter, so... I just want to give an update on the death toll. I covered Astro World last time, and uh, after the episode was released, the number went up to 10 deaths. The latest victim was nine-year-old Ezra Blount. He had attended the festival with his father, Treston Blount, and he suffered multiple injuries when he fell from his father's shoulders. This left the nine-year-old in a medically-induced coma on life support, and tragically, he died, making him the youngest victim of the Astroworld incident at just nine years old. And then, as of today, Brian Laundrie's official cause of death was released, and it was determined to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. I can't say I'm surprised. I, my heart still is with Gabby Petito and her family. And I hope one day that we get more answers. This is awkward. I don't know how to do the transition into like the happier things because I don't want to make it seem like those things are trivial and then like here's just a little boost to cheer you up. But nevertheless, Adele released her newest studio album, 30, which is her fourth album following 19, 21, and 25. I think that she had said somewhere that she wasn't going to name the next one an age, a number. I think that she's kind of, she kind of has to now, right? The album is cute. It has some sexy moments, it has some sassy moments, some funny moments, obviously some sad moments. I'm about it. I don't think it's her best album by any means. We'll take what we can get from Adele. Currently, Can I Get It is on replay. It's one of my favorite Adele songs that she's ever released. One of my very favorite celebrities of all time, Paris Hilton got married. Paris Hilton married Carter Room, who she was engaged to for nine months. It took place in Bel Air, and um, it was beautiful. Well, it looked beautiful. There was a ton of people there, including Nicole Richie, and they got a picture together, and that just brings so much joy. It's another one of those pictures I need to print out and hang up on my wall. I don't quite know how to feel about her husband yet. I have my reservations about him. I don't know what it is. It's something about his eyes and his smile that seems a little bit forced. Anyway, I am happy to see Paris thriving and also Britney thriving. That reminds me, there's a meme going around about like Britney, uh, Lindsay Lohan, and Paris at their absolute worst. And now they're all thriving because Lindsay Lohan is apparently set to be in a Hallmark Christmas movie this year. And they say like the world is healing. In further news, Stable Center was renamed to Crypto.com Arena. This will go into effect Christmas Day this year. Why Christmas Day? I don't know. Why not just the new year? I don't have many thoughts on this. Obviously, it's not as cute. It's not as memorable. And I don't think fans are going to call it that, at least for a long time. So apparently they paid $700 million to rename it to. And then Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello officially broke up after their two-year-long relationship The couple took to Instagram to share a joint statement. It says, Hey guys, we've decided, (laughs) hey guys, we've decided to end our romantic relationship, but our love for one another as humans is stronger than ever. We started our relationship as best friends and will continue to be best friends. We so appreciate your support from the beginning and moving forward. Signed, Camila and Sean. So, goodbye to them. I am going to miss the awkward videos of them walking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it right now. Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello walking. You won't be disappointed. 
Um, Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson have made it official? Not really. They were first spotted holding hands together on a ride at Not Scary Farm in October, and then after that, uh, Kim was hosting SNL and they shared an on-screen kiss when Kim was playing Princess Jasmine and Pete Davidson was playing Aladdin. Some say that they are officially dating, some say they're just trying things out, but either way, they are packing on the PDA. Pete had like a hickey, I think, recently. <laughs> I don't know. I'm more uh, team Courtney and Travis. And I think that's about it. I There's probably more. And if you like this segment and there's something that you really want me to cover, message me and I will include it, I promise. Even if I don't think I have an opinion on it, I will form one. I'm here for you. Again, I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, a delicious Thanksgiving. Bye.